Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So how do you pray when your loved one is fighting a losing battle with cancer? How do you pray when leaving the cemetery? How do you pray when the spouse walks out? How do you pray when you have a parent struggling with addiction? How do we we pray? Well, as Pastor Tony's been talking about, Prayer is talking with God. It's our connection with God. And Jesus has told us, in this world, you will have tribulation. So this side of heaven, we're going to have struggles. There are going to be storms. There are going to be valleys. But Jesus says, don't stop there. Now, he gives us this beautiful but brief parable to explain how we can persevere. And listen, that's essential for us as believers today to be able to persevere through the attacks of the enemy, through the world, the flesh, and the devil, how they're going to come at us. So I want you to follow along as we read this parable. Verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, hear what this unrighteous judge has said. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? On earth. So, Jesus in this brief story gives us some profound truths how we as believers today, okay, how we can make it through the storms, the valleys, by persevering with Him. Uh, matter of fact, I want to first dispel misconceptions or misapplications of this parable. It doesn't mean that. God will finally be worn out by your continual praying to him. I say, God's far above that. That's ridiculous, heretical. God is a great God, a good, good father who loves you so much he wants to meet your needs, okay? So you can't, like, wear God out by incessant nagging, okay? That may work for you wives with your husbands, but that's not a biblical application for that. So what is Jesus teaching us here? Well, jump right into verse 1 here. The truth he wants us to live. The truth he wants us to live. Verse 1, he says, he told them a parable that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Your outline, circle, always to pray. Always to pray. And circle, not lose heart. That's our connection to him. As Pastor Tony has taught us, that's talking with God. So he says, listen, don't lose that connection with me. Because I am your help. I won't delay. So, What's he saying? This is what he's saying. When you're down and prayed out, look up and pray through. When you're down and prayed out, look up 
and pray through. So Jesus is telling us to persevere in prayer when the going gets tough. He's telling us to not give up when circumstances of life have got you down. He's telling us continually seek him even when sometimes he doesn't seem to be found. Perseverance. Jesus is trying to help us to develop that discipline here of persevering through life, through prayer. So I want to show you Webster calls perseverance this, a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. A continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. Now, what are difficulties, failure, and opposition? Simple word, that's life. Unfortunately, this side of heaven, we're going to deal with struggles. I did a, a wedding last night. And, you know, a couple, everything's perfect, of course, at your wedding, okay? Uh, see sweet Kenny and Hayden, uh, uh, excuse me, your brother-in-law, Hayden, Kenny and Kelsey there, they've been married just a few months. But last night, I told this couple, listen, it's not all going to be perfect. As a matter of fact, let me just be honest, this is as good as it gets. It all goes downhill from here. <laughs> no, no, I didn't say that. I'm not going to tell your sister that, Kelsey. No, that's just sort of a, a preacher joke there to make a point. Life is tough. It is. But Jesus says you can persevere. Now, some of us maybe persevere like Billy. Billy wanted that new bike for Christmas so bad. So uh, his mom and dad, though, they wanted him to understand that it wasn't them, wasn't Santa, okay, at Christmas, but they wanted him to pray about it. So they said, Billy, here's, here's an idea. Why don't you write God a letter? So Billy goes to his desk. He starts writing God a letter. Dear God, I have been a really, really good boy this year. Can I please have that bike? Billy. He looks at it and ah, wads it up, throws it away. That's not good. He writes another one. Dear God, I have tried my best this year. Can I please have that bike? Billy. He looks at that and he says, ah, wads it up, throws it away. He goes, Dear God, could you please show me your mercy and grace and give me that bike? He throws that away. And all of a sudden, bingo, light goes off. He grabs his coat, runs downstairs. Mom says, where are you going? He says, I'm going down to church. His mom says, man, he's getting it now. He runs down to church. He goes inside, looks around. Nobody's around. Remember, it's Christmas. And he goes down to the front of the sanctuary. They had the nativity scene set up. So he goes down, grabs the statue of Mary, Virgin Mary. Grabs the statue, puts it in his coat, and runs back. Heads in the house. His mom says, Billy, did you see the pastor? He said, no, he wasn't there, but it's okay, Mom. So he runs upstairs, sits at his desk, sits the statue down, and writes, Dear God, I've got your mama. Give me the bike or else. (laughs) See, sometimes we try to make these deals with God. I think we've all been there making those deals with God. Oh, God, if you'll just give me hair like Donny Osmond, I'll go to Africa for you. Okay? I actually want to be like Donnie Osmond, okay, as a kid. I know he's old school for a lot of you young ones here, all right? We all had those prayers. But as, a, as a, a child, I started to learn some things about these truths here we're looking at today. Uh, as most, many of you know, I came to faith uh, as about an eight-year-old child because of seminary students from Tennessee Temple University. Now, I never knew my father. My mother uh, was a single mom. 
So they came to Christ, and uh, they shared Christ with me. I came to Christ. They witnessed to my mom. But at the time, I didn't understand why mom didn't want to follow Jesus like I did. Well, I would learn later, much later, but they started taking me to church. Well, church was wonderful. I was learning great things about God's Word, yet at home, things were different. I would see my mom, like, drunk in the evening. And I learned she was, through AA, I learned she was a functioning alcoholic. She could hold down a job, but she had to have that drink every evening on weekends. She'd come to PTA meetings, come to, to Little League, hungover, drunk. The one of the worst times when I heard some neighbors calling my mother and I white trash. So let me tell you, I cried out to God day and night, like Jesus says. I cried out. I said, God, and I can't handle this. But Jesus says, listen, I want to help you. He wants to help us when we're crying to God, when we're hurting, and we can't persevere. He says, listen, I, want to, I, I don't want you to lose heart on this. So he gives us this beautiful parable here. And I want us to look at this parable. I want to try to unpack it here. There's three primary precepts, but then Jesus gives his own commentary for us to understand these great truths here. But look at this parable here. Now, by the way, in this parable, Jesus uses a couple of different literary devices here. He uses contrasting elements and comparable elements. Contrasting is like the rich man and Lazarus, complete opposites. Okay? A comparable is like the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. So he uses these to try to teach us these truths. So the first, uh, on the outline, you'll see that blank, the judge. Put unrighteous, unrighteous judge. That's the very description Jesus gives for the judge. And if God calls someone unrighteous, that's as bad as it gets. Evil fellow. But look at the opposing arrows. On the other side, you see God, and I've got father in brackets, okay? Because that was the God Jesus had introduced to the people then, the Jewish people, as he introduced to us. When Jesus came, he said, listen, you're still praying to Yahweh, the Lord. You're still praying to El Shaddai, God Almighty. But now things are changing. The veil of the temple one day was going to be torn in two. Jesus says, now you have access to the throne. Pray to him as your father, the good, good father who loves you. So complete opposites here, this unrighteous judge, okay, and God the father. Another contrast he gives is the widow, a widow. In verse 3, you can jot down the word hopeless there. A widow, a widow even, particularly in that society, even ours, there's a lot of needs. But in that society, a widow is one of the most disenfranchised and helpless individuals. So she uh, had this great need, but she's hopeless here. She's contrasted with the phrase in verse 7, the, his elect. And you see the word chosen ones. That's the meaning of elect, chosen ones. We are God's very own chosen ones. This verse in Ephesians explains it so well, Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose us. That's an incredible theological truth. Don't lose sight of that, that God chose you. Nick, God chose you, brother. He chose me. I'm so glad God looked ahead in time. He saw a little boy would never know the love of an earthly father. And he said, Chuck, I'll be your Abba father. I choose you, Chuck. He looked ahead in time. He saw a little boy would hear himself called white trash. He says, that ain't right. He said, I choose you, Chuck. You're now white as snow. Glory to God. Aren't you glad God chose you? 
If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are His forever. He's chose you, written your name down in heaven. So those are the contrasting elements He's setting up for us. Now, the, the precept there is this. God is far more, far more loving and merciful than any human could ever be. So don't think God doesn't hear you. Don't think that you wear God out. Listen, He loves you. He chose you. You're His precious, redeemed child. So now... Look at this next phrase. Kept coming. These are comparable elements he uses. Kept coming, continual coming. The widow kept coming. The judge says her continual coming. Those phrases in the original language meant that she was desperate. She was determined. But also she was expectant. Why'd she keep coming? Nobody cared about widows. Okay, But she kept coming because not only was she determined and desperate, she was expecting, I'm going to get, I'm going to get this justice here. So see how it's compared to the phrase in verse 7, uh, his elect, we cry day and night. We cry day and night. So when you pray, no matter what storm you're going through or what valley, are you desperate in your soul? Do you pray with a determined will? Do you pray with an expectant heart? Look at the next phrase. And once you get the, I'm sorry, the precept here is God sees our perseverance. God sees our perseverance, our desperation. Circle God sees there. Circle that. That's beautiful truth that comes from Genesis. El Royi, the God who sees. God sees your every cry. He sees your every tear. In Psalms 56, 8, he says he stores your tears in a bottle and records them in a book. Now, I don't understand that, but what that tells me is God loves me so much that he's not going to miss anything, any hurt, any pain in my life. The God who sees. Now, look at this next phrase here, my adversary, my adversary. It's interesting, that word in the original Greek is the word antitikos, which means one who opposes or an enemy. Now, it's used six times in the New Testament, five by Jesus one by one of the disciples who was standing here listening to this story. And so you see the comparison there. This disciple, Peter, Apostle Peter, uses it in this verse. Look at this verse in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, the widow had the adversary. We don't know who he was, don't know the struggle, but we have an adversary. Sometimes we think it's, a person. Sometimes we think it is a thing like a uh, unemployment or a disease. Listen, the enemy will, enemy will use anything to destroy you. Some people blame God. Oh God, how could you allow this? Listen, we've got to recognize that our enemy is Satan. We've got to face him. We've got to realize we're going to have to face our adversary. That is part of our walk as believers this side of heaven. So honestly, hey, say like this, it's like Tennessee fans. We've got to realize every year we must face our adversary, Nick Saban. S-A-B-A-N, Saban. I'll leave it at that. But truth as believers, we must prepare ourselves to face the enemy of our souls. So how do we face him? Well, in the definitive passage on spiritual warfare in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, Tony alluded to it last week. The Apostle Paul tells us about our armor. 
In other words, establishing righteousness, peace, faith, the sword of the Spirit in our lives. But he finishes that passage with this verse from uh, Ephesians 6, 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So there it is again. Perseverance in prayer. That's how we're going to defeat the enemy when you think there's no hope. When you think there's, not, there's no end to that struggle you're going through, you're going to defeat the enemy. He's going to lie to you, and he is going to get you down. You say, Satan, here's the word of God. I defeat you with praying, and I'm going to per- persevere to defeat you. So in Jesus' commentary here now, we're going to look at on this parable, he instructs us in our thought process. See, the battle's in the mind here. See, he's going to instruct us. Matter of fact, a few weeks ago in our Wednesday night sermon series, I used a quote from one of my favorite pastors, old-time guy, A.W. Tozer. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let that sink in. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see, the way we think about God, the way we believe about God will determine not only our everyday lives, but our eternal destiny. So Jesus wants to make sure we have proper, right, biblical concepts of our great God and good, good Father. So look now as Jesus gives us basically a theology 101 on the truths to persevere, the truths he gives us to persevere. The first one, God's will is always good. God's will is always good. Look at the, uh, verse 7. I've gotten your outline. Will not, just, this is Jesus talking. Will not, give, will not God give justice to his elect? That's a rhetorical question, actually saying he will, as he says in verse 8. He will give justice to them. He will give it. God's will will be accomplished. No man or Satan can stop God's will. He will give justice. Now, through my childhood and teenage years, I would hear this taught in church. Now, I'd go to church by myself, but I couldn't understand how I could live at home with my mother who, believe me, I loved her, but then there was a love-hate relationship. I didn't understand alcoholism. Who does? But mother loved me, but then when she was drunk, I saw no love. I saw abuse, the way she would treat me. So how is this God's will? I couldn't get my mind around this. Then one day in church, I heard Lee Robertson, the pastor of Highland Park Baptist, share this verse, Romans 8, 28. Many of you know this verse, and I couldn't believe it. I chose this as a life verse for me because I could finally understand this. Look at it. And we know that for those who love God, I knew I loved God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, not some things, not most things, all things work together for good to those who are his. So I claim that promise, God, I'm going to trust you even through the pain. I love the words from singer-songwriter Babby Mason, uh, uh, this song she's written about this verse. She says, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Amen. Hallelujah. What a great God. Jesus says, listen, I know you're, you're hurting. You don't have to lose heart. Trust my heart. 
But then I wondered, what if God was saying no? Have you ever had God say no to you? Here, I want you to get this. This is a principle, a fundamental principle of God's sovereign will that I learned. God's no is always based on his no. Now, if you're listening by podcast or online, let me clarify. God's N-O, no, is always based on his K-N-O-W, no. Now, it may not be grammatically correct, but it's biblically, theologically sound. Solid as a rock. See, God's knowledge is far beyond ours. Isaiah says, his ways, his thoughts are as far as the heavens above the earth, the galaxies. Billions of light years away, God's thoughts can't compare to us. See, he knows the beginning to the end. He knows what's best for you, for I. So, do we trust in his K-N-O-W, no, sometimes when he says no? Here, listen, how many of us have been encouraged, even comforted, by the beautiful words from that renowned theologian, T. Garth Brooks? Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Especially at that, that 10th or 20th reunion, you've been there at that homecoming, and you've looked around, and all of a sudden you thought, thank you, God, for sparing me. That person was saying the same thing about you, okay? <laughs> Just admit it. God's will is always good. Look at the next thing Jesus brings us to. God's timing is always perfect. Jot that down. God's timing is always perfect. Jesus says, will he delay long? Once again, a rhetorical question saying he won't delay. And he says in verse 8, he will give justice speedily. Circle that delay long and circle speedily. So why is Jesus saying God won't delay and he'll answer speedily? Through your struggle, through that storm you've gone through, do you think it's been pretty speedy he came through? You know, my years of asking God, God, man, save my mother, please. Deliver her from this addiction so I can have a good mom. Well, I didn't think God was acting speedily. Well, I didn't understand what one of these disciples later expounded on. Look at this verse. The Apostle Peter, again, he says this in his epistle. 2 Peter 3.8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. It's incredible truth he's teaching us about God. God's not bound by our space-time dimensions, all right, restrictions. God created them for us. We're bound by that, all right, on this side of heaven. So God, what he's saying here, Jesus is saying, God will act speedily because it will be on time. There's an old Southern Gospel song. It's called an on-time God. Okay, God is never late. All right, he never. It's never busy. He never delays. He will always act on time. His timing is perfect. Here, look how the Apostle Peter continues here. I've got in your outline the verse from verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness. Circle not slow there. And circle slowness. But He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach. Repentance. This verse became a life-changing verse for me. When I heard the pastor, I was uh, probably 16, 17, I heard this verse. The pastor said, listen, if you have a loved one that's away from God, you have a loved one that is not a believer, and you want them to know Christ, not die and go to hell, claim this promise, put their name where you see any and all. So I did. 
So I said, Lord, I'm claiming your promise. I'm claiming that you are not wishing that my mother should perish, but that my mother should reach repentance. So I claim that. But still, the years went on. What was God saying here? Well, I had to rest in the truths of his promises and stories like Elijah. Elijah, one of the, the, one of the great prophets of Israel, one of the only two men who never died, Elijah prayed and did get an instant answer. He prayed for three years for rain. The nation was starving, famine, no rain for three years. What if Elijah had given up on, after two years and 364 days? What if he'd stopped right there? You know, he'd be like a lot of us. I firmly believe that some of us are one prayer short of a miracle. But Elijah, he didn't give up, did he? No. On day 365 of the third year, he kneels down and prays again, as he'd done for days before. And he tells his servant, all right, go over to the sea, see if you see any rain coming. So he heads over to the Mediterranean Sea, comes back and says, Brother Elijah, there's nothing. It's still dry. It's not working. Elijah says, go back again. He sends him back. How many times does he send him? Seven times. God likes it seven bit, doesn't he? So can you see this servant coming back the seventh time, running back? Brother Elijah. Now, I guess they called him Brother Elijah back in the Israeli days. But he says, listen, there's a cloud. There's a cloud. Sometimes in our life, we're going to get a glimpse of a cloud. Elijah already had declared, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Elijah knew God would answer in his time. Did he stop praying after first year, second year? No, he kept praying. He persevered in prayer, but God answered in his perfect time. Well, for me, I ended up graduating high school, still trying to not lose heart, persevere. And because uh, my mom's addiction got so bad, she finally lost her job. And then I had to get a job to support us. So I I delayed school for about three years for college. So I uh, support mom, and I got a job at the truck line working third shift. Well, so finally I started to school. And one day I was coming home from school. And what I would do, I would work third shift, get off at 7, go home, shower, head to school, take classes, come home, eat, sleep, study, and head back to work. That was my ritual. Well, I came home one afternoon from class, opened the door, and blood's everywhere. So I yelled out, Mom, Mom! Went to her bedroom, the bathroom, blood everywhere. So obviously I'm scared to death here. So if you know where a duplex is, the walls are kind of thin. We live in a little duplex, downtown Chattanooga. So I went next to my neighbors, and of course before cell phones, they couldn't reach me, so they said, hey, listen, your mother was screaming, so we, we came through the door, and we called an ambulance. She's at Erlanger. So I head to Erlanger, and they ushered me into the waiting room. Uh, it may be Erlanger's waiting room, but I learned that was God's waiting room for me. So I waited till about midnight. The doctor comes out. He says, are you the son? I said, yes, sir. He says, listen, I'm sorry. Uh, I guess you know your mother has an uh, alcohol problem. Yes, sir. He says, well, her liver cirrhosis is destroyed. Her stomach lining is gone. Her esophagus is, ru- her esophagus is ruptured. We can't do anything. She's in coma now. You better call your dad and the family in. Well, he didn't know I didn't have a dad, so I sat there all alone crying out to God, 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 how could you do this? I have prayed. I've persevered. 
God, please, please. So that day, that night, day turned into a couple days, and it turned into a week, that week into a month. Stayed in a coma. On the 29th day, I walked in, got off work, and walked in that morning, and the nurses all said, Chuck, listen, you got you to come in here. What happened? Your mom opened her eyes. Let me go in there, and I stood by her bed. She had tubes in her nose and mouth, and so I, had, I stood there for about an hour before she opened her eyes. Man, when I saw that, I bawled like a baby. I said, Mom, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Please trust him. See, I wanted Mom to know Jesus before she died so I'd see her in heaven one day. So I cried, and, and, and so I continued praying and crying, but yet that day turned into about two weeks. Two weeks later, they moved her to a regular room. And I'll never forget that day the rest of my life. I walked in that room, and she was the tubes were out, and she looked a little color in her. But I'll never forget what she said. She said, Chuck, I'm so sorry the way I've raised you. I want to trust Jesus the way you've been telling me. Hallelujah, right in the Erlanger Hospital, the glory of God came down. That redeemed child became part of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. And he's doing the same for you. So I learned God's will is always good. His timing's always perfect. Look at this last thing. God's perspective is always eternal. God's perspective is always eternal. Look at the phrase, when the Son of Man comes, in verse 8. Circle when and comes. So as Jesus concludes the teaching of this parable, he reminds us of his second coming. Chapter 17, he's talking all about second coming. He tells the whole parable in the middle of this discourse about his second coming. He wants us to know that it's not all about life right here. So we get so focused on our life, uh, our success, keeping up with the Joneses, we focus right here. Or maybe we keep our struggles, our heartaches, our valleys, our storms, we focus right here. And Jesus says, listen, it's about more than that. It's about a forever life with an eternal God here. I want you to see uh, this little research here from the ESV translation. You'll see forevermore at 16 times, everlasting 67, forever 389 times, eternal 73, heaven 491 times. Over a thousand times, God is saying, he's trying to send us a message. He's saying, listen, it's not all about life here. I'm doing something in your life to get you ready for eternity. You remember Tony's illustration uh, several months ago? He used that giant rope with one little piece of tape on it. And he said, we focus all our life on that piece of tape instead of 100 miles of rope. That's us sometimes. And so the Apostle Paul describes it like this. Look at this verse from Corinthians. He says, for this light momentary affliction is producing, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Circle light and momentary there. And then circle eternal. Now, how can these be in the same sentence? Okay. Well, Paul says they can't be compared. Paul's heartache, he was beaten to death many times, eventually beheaded for his faith. The apostle Paul said, that's light and momentary. Eternity waits. Now, I didn't think my struggles those years was light and momentary. You may not think your pain you're going through is light and momentary, but it is in God's perspective, eternity. One of the persons I admire most as a model of perseverance and with an eternal perspective is Johnny Erickson Tada. 
Many of you probably know her. You've read her books. Johnny has been a quadriplegic for over 40 years. When her health allows, she'll travel the globe encouraging others to follow Christ and trust in his sovereign will, his perseverance. I want you to hear a quote from Johnny. She says, I make myself be happy. I make myself sing because I have to. The alternative is too frightening. My girlfriends will tell you in the morning when I wake up, I know they'll be coming into my bedroom to give me a bed bath, do my toileting routines, pull up my pants, put me in the wheelchair, feed me breakfast, and push me out the front door. I lie there thinking, oh God, I cannot face this. I'm so tired of this routine. My hip's killing me. I'm so weary. I don't know how I'm going to make it to lunchtime. I have no energy for this day. God, I cannot do quadriplegia, but I can do all things through you as you strengthen me. So God, I have no smile for these girlfriends of mine who are going to come here with a happy face. Can I please borrow your smile? I need it desperately. I need you. Wow. If you've never read Johnny's book, Heaven, Your Real Home, get it. Read that book, Heaven, Your Real Home. In it, she paints the most beautiful picture of God's eternal perspective. And she, my favorite part, she describes what she envisions her first moment in heaven. She says, I'll come in and she says, I'll kneel at his feet. And I'll just thank him for choosing me, saving me, and for the ultimate healing. You get that? Ultimate healing. We sometimes forget that's, that's the greatest healing. She says, I'll thank him. Then she says, I'll see his nail-scarred hand reach down my face, pick me up and say, welcome home, Johnny. Well done, my good and faithful servant. May I have this dance. Woo, church, is that a great God or what? You think dancing with the stars is something. We're going to be dancing in the stars with our great God. See, it's not about here, just here, okay? He's preparing this eternal weight of glory for us. Listen. Will he find us faithful? God is not impressed with the selfish lifestyles of the rich and famous, but he is pleased with the surrendered lives of the redeemed and faithful. So Jesus is teaching us, listen, you're going to struggle. You're going to have heartaches. You're going to have sorrow. But when you're down and prayed out, you can look up to me and you can pray through. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.